This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Aaron Ain, that's A-I-N, is chairman and CEO of Kronos, recently named by Fortune and Great Place to Work as one of the 20 best places to work in technology. And he's also the author of Work Inspired, How to Build an Organization Where Everyone Loves to Work. Since becoming CEO in 2005, Aaron and his team have focused on employee engagement as a growth strategy and have seen worldwide employee engagement scores go up dramatically and revenue nearly triple during that time. With more than 35,000 organizations using Kronos solutions in over 100 countries, Kronos is a leading global provider of workforce management and human capital management cloud solutions. Aaron was named the inaugural recipient of the Ray Stata Leadership and Innovation Award from the Massachusetts High Technology Council, CEO of the Year by the Massachusetts Technology Leadership Council, and Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young. He's been profiled by the New York Times on the subject of the incalculable value of a good boss and was featured in Harvard Business Review and the HBR IdeaCast. In this episode, Aaron and I talk about, among other things, Cronus' vacation policy, what works, why it works, and what obstacles need to be overcome to implement this kind of policy well, to have the intended benefits that it does have in a proven model at Kronos. We talk about the importance and the ripple effects of trusting employees. This is our main theme. And how trust frees up time and attention to take care of the things that are most important, both at work and beyond. Aaron talks about how doing right by him his employees creates a kind, thoughtful, supportive work environment that has the benefit of engendering loyalty, engagement, and productive employees. It helps Kronos compete effectively in the labor market for the best talent and gives the company an advantage in developing strong relationships with vendors and, of course, with customers, too. In light of my decades of work with clients and organizations in the public sector around the world, I can say with confidence that Aaron Ain is that rare CEO who truly gets the value of engaging his employees respecting his employees as whole human beings who have complex lives outside of work and who acts on this philosophy because it's the right thing to do. He treats his employees with the respect with which he'd like to be treated, something he learned, as he says in this conversation, from the parents who raised him to, well, to act in the right way, as he describes it. And, and in doing so, he creates a work environment where his employees can thrive in all parts of their lives. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast. And if you do, I would so much appreciate it if you would rate it and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you do that sort of thing, wherever you listen to this and your other podcasts. So people other than you are then more likely to find it and enjoy it as well. So now... Get set to listen to and learn from a CEO who serves as an inspiring example 
of how to lead with soul. It's Aaron Ain. Hey, Aaron. Welcome to Work and Life. Hi, Stu. What an honor to join you. Excited to have our conversation. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for being here. Let's. I wanted to start um, by talking about workaholism in America, which you are, I think, if I have it right, and I think I do, one of the fierce combatants against. Um, what's What's your take on how companies and employees? Um, you challenge the the toxic culture of either constantly working or feeling the need to outwardly outwardly display the signs of of constant work and how do you how do you deal with this when you need to prove yourself like when you're in a new job or you're just starting out in your career there's this you know culture of uh of workaholism that really has grown um and I'm you know before we get into the chrono story I, I'd like to hear your take on just the, the landscape of business these days? I think we live in a virtual world and we're always turned on. And it's too mm-hmm. easy when we leave work or when we're trying to take breaks at work mm-hmm. to uh, constantly try to stay in touch. Um, I think we don't mean to do it, but we end up doing it. And so I think that it's a responsibility both of the companies we work for as well as the individual people who work at these companies to find ways and exercise balance in this world. And I think my experience is most organizations will accept employees mm-hmm. who find the right balance. And I, I think it, as much of the responsibility falls on us as, as the people who work at companies as it is on the companies that we work for. I, I agree, and indeed, that's that's part of what I do here at Wharton and in companies around the world is to teach people how, uh, no matter what your role, no matter what your level in an organization, it's possible for you to create uh, meaningful change by taking small steps that are intended to serve both your company's interests and your own interests and those of your family by just being intelligent about what matters most to you, what matters most to them, and then experimenting. So it's not only up to the, the organization and its practices, but, of course, those make a big difference. Uh, and, and Kronos has been doing some really interesting things in this, in this arena. Tell us first just a bit about what Kronos is all about, and, and then I want to get into some of the policies and practices that you've been developing, especially recently, that are really exciting and progressive. Okay, thank you. So we're a 40-plus-year-old software company that sells software that businesses use to effectively manage their workforce. We develop the software. We introduce the software to companies by selling it. We um, help them install it, and we support it. And the idea that Kronos was started around was taking an everyday business practice back in the late 1970s, a mechanical time clock, and automating it. The only part of payroll processing at the time that wasn't automated was the time clock. It was still an electromechanical device that was the same as what was um, designed in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And we put a I used one of those when I was in some of my early employment, punching in on a time clock. So, yes, yep. I know what yep. you're talking about. Some of our listeners do, too. Yep, and so they still exist, and but mm-hmm. now they're microprocessor-based, and, and that's right. really what our roots are. And since then, we moved firmly into being a full-fledged software company where we keep track of when people come and go to help companies make sure they pay them accurately, mm-hmm. help companies schedule people so the right person is in the right place at the right time. We do a little bit of software around um, helping companies manage their human resources and their payroll, and recruiting people, and, and measuring performance, et cetera. That's the basic core of who we are. Our products are used around the world. Some of the biggest companies in the world use Kronos, and some of the smallest companies in the world use Kronos. And, and what do they like about Kronos? They like Kronos because we help take an everyday business practice, which is really important, making sure people are paid accurately and mm-hmm. scheduled effectively, and we do it better than anyone can do it manually. So um, employees who work at organizations that interact with the Kronos system are paid for what they work because we keep track of it accurately. Um, there's very few mistakes, if you will. 
We help companies make sure that people are scheduled properly. So an employee, if they ask to be scheduled at a certain time because they have conflicts with their family around availability or times that they want to um, be working, the system can uh, keep track of that and make sure when the schedule is created, you don't schedule across that time. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you have a schedule posted and you say, gosh, I said I couldn't work then. Why did they schedule me then? Mm -hmm. Our system won't let you do that if you set it up accordingly. I see. Uh, so that that's very helpful, and I appreciate your giving us an overview of what you do. Uh, I'd like to now dive into some of the some of the things that you've been doing uh, as as a CEO of your company to to really put family first, as as you are uh, known to uh, to believe in. Uh, let's start with uh, what you wrote about in the Harvard Business Review not too long ago, and that is. Uh, the vacation policy. I've had on this show over the last five years quite a few people, including CEOs, talk about their experiences with vacation policy. Your piece in the HBR, I think it was November, December 2017, was really very thoughtful about how you did it and what you found out about the risks and how you manage them. Uh, so, so first off, what is that vacation policy and how, how does it work? Simply stated, people can take as much time off as they want. Um, Now everybody can't go at the same time, and I have to get approval. But we want to make sure that people have the proper balance in their life, and more importantly, we want to make it very clear to them that we trust them. Mm. Now, those aren't the reasons why we started it at first. We started it because um, knowledge workers, there's uh, a real um, battle to hire great knowledge workers to work for companies like Kronos. And we were trying to differentiate ourselves in 2015, 2016. So this was an employee, uh, an employee brand labor market competition that you were, that you were, that was driving this to begin that's with. Right, that's right. So we wanted to be able to have people say, gosh, that's a wonderful benefit that I can start at the company right away and take as much vacation as they wanted, particularly for people who were in their 30s and 40s and 50s who mm-hmm. maybe worked at the same place for a long time and they had worked their way up to where they were getting five, six weeks of vacation a year. They wouldn't want to come back and start at three weeks again. So we did it to differentiate ourselves, to change our recruiting profile, if you will. Uh-huh. However, what it led to was really a magical outcome where we were able to tell people we were doing this because, first of all, we trusted them. Number um, two, it made people trust us in return and get their work done even more effectively in return and and understand that we deeply valued, because we communicated to them and we practice it every day, work-life balance. So... What, what evidence did you see in the early days of this policy that that gave you confidence that what you were doing was the right thing and that um, and that trust was growing as well, a result? First of all, of it? everyone didn't disappear, and um, <laughs> okay. people still came to work. And so, obviously, some people said to me, "Gosh, if we offer this, no one's ever going to come to work. They can take as much time off as they want." Mm-hmm. And um, and when I did a video to the company in January 2016 yeah. explaining the policy, the first thing I said was looking at the camera, thank you. Thank you for um, um, allowing us to do this because we trust you. I trust you mm-hmm. from that perspective. But to answer your question specifically, at the end of the first year, yeah. people took on average 2.65 more days off on average. More as a result of more, this policy. More, 2.65 days more off on average, because we still track the vacation. Of course you I'm did. happy to explain why we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and most importantly, our engagement, our employee engagement, went from record levels to even higher record levels, enviable levels, top 2-3% levels of engagement. Our turnover went down to the lowest it ever was. And most importantly, perhaps we had our best year ever. So I'm you mean in terms myself, of in terms of income, in terms of results, in terms Profit. of product release, in terms of financial results, mm-hmm. um, all the various ways that we measure our results. So lower turnover, higher engagement, and the best year we ever had. I don't know. I'm thinking something worked. 
So you saw uh, a connection between this new policy and these incredible results that you've just described. That's right. And, That's right. And so, so what did you do with that? What came next? Well, just continue to support that and, and encourage that and explain that to people. Let me also say that when we do what we did and when companies might do what they did with vacation policy, it means when people leave the company, they're not accruing vacation time anymore. Okay. And so it saved our company about 2 to $3 million a year in monies that we would have otherwise paid out to people with accrued balances, vacation balances, when they left. Oh. So we made a very conscious decision. We were not making this change to save money. And so we took that full amount plus some and introduced a whole new series of benefits that didn't exist before at Kronos. That were going to be designed to help families primarily, if I haven't um, right. You could say that in some dimensions or just help employees. So mm-hmm. we um, increased our paid maternity leave to 12 weeks. We introduced a paid paternity leave mm-hmm. um, that we never had before. We introduced scholarships. How long is the paid paternity leave for? Four weeks paid. Mm-hmm. Um, we introduced um, scholarships for children of employees for college. We introduced a um, debt um, support for employees that have college debt, and we will help pay that debt back through a service. That's awesome. Um, we introduced and significantly increased our retirement, our 401k match. Um, these type of things we um, did, and so so you reinvested so, the savings from that uh, that gain in the in the accrual of uh, vacation time in in these in these policies. People must have loved that. You know, most people loved it. I'd say ninety percent, but there were a small group of people that were not happy with it, which surprised me. I had they like threw me back on my feet, and I didn't expect that. And at first, I didn't quite know how to respond to the people who didn't like it. Let's get um, into that, because you, you very clearly lay out the, the, the three kinds, major kinds of complaints that you heard from the, what, 10, 15% of people who were unhappy. Right. Uh, what were those complaints, and how did you deal with them? Well, one of them was, it's not fair to me, because I've worked at Kronos 20 years, and I've worked my way up six mm-hmm. weeks of vacation, why mm-hmm. should someone new coming into the company get the same as I get? Okay. And I said, but you didn't lose anything. You could take more vacation now if you want. Why do you care if someone new can take as much as you? But people were upset about that. They really felt it was unfair. So I listened thoughtfully and, mm-hmm. and explained to them why we did it, changing our recruiting profile. Yes. Some of them said, okay, I get it. Others didn't right away. So that was one area. So the that issue can, there, if I can dig in yep. a little further on that, because I think it's an important one, is, is a kind of status or recognition for seniority, right, for, for length of service that want, you know, people want to be honored for that. They want to be recognized for that. That's right. Uh, so d- did you deal with that in any other way other than acknowledging that? No, we didn't, because... They were getting, those people were getting the same benefit as well. And so there wasn't a logical way to mm-hmm. give them something extra as a result because mm-hmm. everyone was benefiting from it. I so, see. no, we, we didn't change that. All right. But you, you heard what the issue was, and some people were persuaded to get on board with it, others not, apparently. In the end, I think the people who actively complained to me and came to talk to me, a year later, just about every one of them who I engaged with said, you know, I was a little bit ahead of my skis with that. I'm glad we did it. It was the right decision. Mm. I'm good with it. And so, you know, emotions, people have emotions. I try to tell people, you shouldn't apologize because you feel a certain way. Let's have a (laughs) conversation about it. I'm not angry with you. You can feel the way you feel. Mm Mm-hmm. That's... A part of leadership is to be direct and honest at the same time. Well, and to be open to hearing uh, the perspective of people who might disagree with you, uh, which you're describing here. So what were some of the, the, the two other main complaints that you heard? Yeah, uh, some managers said to us that you just made my job more difficult mm-hmm. um, because now I have to... Um, go and be more of a referee. I'm going to have people who 
who want to come and and take more time off and um, uh, and I can't let them go right away and, mm-hmm. and so it'd be better if they just had a defined amount of time mm-hmm. and um, so for those cases we said yep I get that but you have to be a manager being a manager a great manager isn't a spectator sport you have to engage we did this for a good and valid reason and that ended up not being an issue because people generally did not take advantage of it. I see. Uh, but that was a concern people had, managers specifically. Well, because you're kind of loosening the controls, right, in terms That's of right. – and, and it makes it a little harder for people, for managers, to, to plan workflow, for example, right? Well, people still have to get permission to leave, and so – some managers said, what happens if someone on my team comes and says they want to be gone for the next 90 days? Mm-hmm. Did you have to tell them they can't be gone for 90 days? This is what we just said, they can take as much time off as they want. Uh-huh. I said, no, we said they can take as much time off as they want, but they got to get permission, and everybody can't go ah, at once. Okay, so there was so, that important caveat right. uh, that that over time managers came to see, all right, I'm, I'm not, it's not going to be anarchy here. I will still be able to plan. Uh, and and the employees' interests have to be balanced against our our our, our uh, project goals. That's right. And what was the third complaint that you heard? The third one was that people said, "I have accrued this um, vacation time, mm-hmm. and I was planning when I left the company to get a big paycheck mm-hmm. for my accrued time." Now, let me be clear: we did not take away anybody's accrued time. If somebody left the next week and they had four, five, six weeks of accrued unused vacation, they got paid. But as they used their vacation from the point we introduced it forward, it counted down that accrued time. So over a couple years, those accrued balances for people who stayed went away. They said, look, I'm going to retire in a couple years, and I don't have kids in college, right. and I don't need a bigger 401k match, and I don't need debt support, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to have any more children, mm-hmm. and, and um, I wanted my accrued vacation when I left. I wanted that check. Sure. And, and I said, well, first of all, we didn't let you, we didn't grant vacation as a way for you to get a check when you left the company. It was meant for you to use to refresh yourself Hmm. um, on one dimension. And Mm -hmm. and I said, so that's not what the intention of it was. And and I also felt this way. I don't know if I communicate this as actively. I said, I'd rather keep the money in the company than pay it out to people who leave who aren't going to be at Kronos anymore and keep that money to be used for the people who are staying Mm -hmm. for all those additional benefits I described. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But those were the three main things that people objected to. And so what about the the common observation that uh, a unlimited vacation policy leads to people taking less time because they're afraid of being seen seen as uncommitted or... You know, um, you know, they're just yes, they're they're concerned that they might lose their their leverage internally, or they might lose their status because they're not in the you know in the thick of it, uh, you know, often enough, or they're just uh, um, fearful. Yep. How do no, you encourage really people to, to to actually use it? Well, this is why we continue to track the vacation. Because we heard from the work we did when we were considering this from the less than 10% of companies who do offer this type of policy Uh all before us, they said what you just described can happen. People will take less. Mm -hmm. So we still keep track of it. And when we see people aren't taking their time off, we, the managers, are held accountable to talk to people on their teams and tell them they have to take the time off. It's like those people who were at the end of their careers uh, that you had to talk to to say, hey, you were supposed to use it, right? That's right. And, and not accrue it. Um, so I, so managers have the imperative to really encourage people to use what they've got, uh, uh, the opportunity to use, and to take as much time as they want? Yeah, but but people haven't abused it, as mm-hmm. I described. We track it, and people took, on average, 2.65 more days off. They didn't take 26 mm-hmm. more days mm-hmm. off. 
And so, and this goes to the whole part of trusting each other. Yes. Trust, trust, trust. It's yes. critical for us. Uh, well, and why is it so important, Henry? Because you can't do something like this unless we trust each other. If mm-hmm. I didn't trust our team and they didn't trust us, how could we introduce a policy like this? People might or they would abuse it, but we explained clearly why we were doing it and explained that we trust each other to, to do the right thing, and people didn't disappoint me or each other. So, and, um, yeah, I think when you have trust in an environment, the outcomes can be really magical as well. And how is what you're writing about in, in Work Inspired uh, address this question of building trust? Well, I did a whole chapter just on trust mm-hmm. as a way to create an environment where people love to work and being open and honest and direct and um, exposing reality of what's happening and, um, you know, sharing information that people maybe are surprised that you're sharing about what's going on in the company mm. are all ways that it builds trust and giving people responsibility mm-hmm. and being completely transparent and holding them accountable when things maybe don't go the way we want, but not in a bad way, but start with a basic idea that we trust them. And, you know, it's interesting to me, Stu, people talk to me about this and, well, they have to earn my trust, they say. And I say, I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. When you hired them, did you not trust them? Yep. Did something happen when you were interviewing them that made you say, I don't trust them? That, that's well, a, no, I trust them. I said, well, then trust them. Don't make them earn it. Assume trust. Right, Let, assume trust. Until they break it. Until they break it. Yes. And, and so that's 99% a, of people don't break it. Mm-hmm. Don't waste the time making them earn it. Take advantage of all the value that trust brings to an organization from day one. Aaron, you you wrote Work Inspired uh, for a reason. Tell us what that reason is. What are you trying to accomplish with this volume? Well, honestly, I wrote it to help promote Kronos' brand and explain to people why we have created a special environment that Mm -hmm. allows us to produce better products and deliver better service. I believe that great companies are driven by great people, and you have if you're going to recruit great people and retain great people to produce these products and services, you need to have a great environment. And I wanted the people to know about that because I think it makes us special, and it's a reason why they should do business with us. It's a competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. And I was, at the same time, once I started writing it and talking to call each other Cronites, talking to Cronites, I became so incredibly proud of what we accomplished and, as importantly, the impact our culture has had and continues to have on the 6,000 people or so who work at the company. Can you say more about that? Maybe give us an example or two about the impact that you're having on the people's lives uh, with the kinds of practices that you've been describing building a culture uh, in which people have information, have a sense of responsibility and accountability, where there's trust, where you're investing in their uh, their lives beyond work and believe that family is indeed the priority. What has been the impact? Well, look, I, I tell um, Kronos employees whenever I have the opportunity that if the most important thing in their life is working for the company, they have their priorities mixed up. Hmm. I tell them that, that that's just silly. Silly. I, them, I, I want Kronos to be important, but the most important thing, their family should be the most important thing. Hmm. And I ask them to go home and thank their family every time I'm with them, because I can't do what I do without the support of my family, and I know many of them cannot either. So that type of approach and attitude allows our employees to be more liberated in terms of what they do when they have both exciting and joyful things in their life, and they have points in their life when they have um, problems. Sorrow and tragedy, like we all do. Right, and so we're there to support both of those, and, mm-hmm. and so we're very focused on that. Uh, what does that um, look like in practice? It looks like in practice that when 
people have these sorrows, we wrap our arms around them, and we do, I tell my HR team, and I don't have to tell them anymore, to do more than is expected. That if expected was X, amplify that, do more. If they had a problem with a child, if they had a problem with their home, if they had a problem with a parent, if they have a problem with finances, um, let's go out of our way to wrap our arms around them and help them so that they get through these moments. And when people tell me the stories of how we've helped them in these ways, um, I get teary-eyed about it. And Hmm. they tell me the impact it's had on them and their lives and their families. And, you know, and it creates great loyalty to the company. Of course. not why I do it, by the way. Well, um, so can you give us an example of a recent occurrence that Um, happened in your Work long ago that, example. Okay. But it amplified, it, it illustrates it. Mm-hmm. So during September 11th, we had employees who were in the reserves. They joined the reserves not with the intention of ever thinking they would get called up for active duty. I think many of them, that's how they felt. So now they were going to be gone for a year. And so we were only mm-hmm. obligated to pay them. Um, we weren't obligated to pay them while they were gone. So we made a decision very quietly that anyone who was gone, we would pay them the difference between what they were being paid for active duty and what they were being paid while they were at Kronos. Hmm. So that, and they told us that none of the other people in their units got this benefit. Hmm. Furthermore, we left their families on our health care plan so that they wouldn't have to, we didn't have to, so that they wouldn't have to go redo all of those things. When they came back after a year to welcome them back, we sent them on a paid vacation with their families nice. as a way to say thank you to them and as a way for them to get to know each other again. Now, that had a dramatic impact on people. How? Because people said, gosh, you just made this so easy for me. It was hard enough being on active duty in a war zone, but knowing that I didn't have to worry about whether my family was going to be taken care of and whether my financial situation was going to be at risk, that was a tremendous relief, and I could concentrate on what was in front of me, Mm -hmm. which was very important. That Mm -hmm. is just a dramatic example, but not the only example. So you said a minute ago that you didn't you didn't undertake this approach, this philosophy, I'll call it, uh, to breed loyalty. What was the motivation? It's the right thing to do. I had great parents who taught me the right way to treat people and the right environment. And it's wonderful that when something that I value so deeply around being kind and thoughtful and supportive... Um, as well as collaborative and transparent and trusting, also um, brings great business benefits. So they do go together, Mm -hmm. but I would do them if they didn't go together because I just believe in it that deeply. So you're, you know, I I think of what you're doing here as as a kind of agent of social change where you're really trying to shift the way that people think about their relationship with employers. Um, maybe you don't think of yourself that way. Maybe you do. I'm not, I'd, I'd like to know uh, how you see the Kronos model of uh, leadership practice and how to build relationships and trust with the people in your organization is something that is successful for you. Uh, and, and with the book, you're, you're sharing these ideas to let you know, potential clients and others know what they, what they're getting when they're working with you. Um, I wonder if I could turn to what I asked you in my very first question about you know the the culture of workaholism in in America today. Do you see what you're doing as part of uh, uh, a movement to uh, to to create a, a different kind of workplace? Uh, actually, I don't. I, I, I'm I'm not trying to be a revolutionary in this way. I'm trying to do what's in the best interest of the people who work for our company. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to do what's in the best interest of their families. I'm trying to do what's in the best interest of our customers by producing better products and deliver better services. Um, that's really what I'm trying to do. If 
other people want to do it and it makes sense for their company, then I encourage them to do that. And I gave them a framework mm-hmm. to follow. Um, but I'm really not, uh, and maybe I should, but I'm not trying to uh, um, make a broad statement. I'm trying to look after the people mm-hmm. who are very important to me, which are their employees. What do you tell your clients, uh, and or what do they tell you uh, when they either read your book or find out how you approach your employees? Um, do, what are the kinds of reactions that you get from them? That's a really good question. So I'm very frontal about it, independent of the book. I talk to them um, about having great products and being a global company and delivering great service. And I always finish up my conversations by talking about we're a great place to work and why they should view that as important. And I go back to Mm. what I said earlier, that by being a great place to work and taking care of our people, we will be a better vendor to them. We will be a better partner to them. We will produce these better products, deliver this better service. And I further encourage them that they should ask other people they do business with Mm -hmm. if they do the same thing. Hmm. And I finally say... You mean other vendors, other suppliers? Yeah, particularly when it's competitive. Why wouldn't I really talk about it then? Um, But I'm not trying to do it just for that. And then I finally say to them, and don't you want to do business with an organization that treats its employees with dignity and respect? and is thoughtful and kind and caring. Aaron, I watch them bob their head. You, I do, I do. Of course they do. You are an agent of social change. You were, you were being immodest. Uh, you were being too modest earlier. That, that kind of question, that sort of inquiry of your clients, that's how you instigate uh, a ripple effect of this, kind, this way of thinking and this philosophy. But we're not going to argue that. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm just saying it hasn't been my... That's not your agenda. That's not my agenda. I have customers who have said to me afterwards, can you come talk to my leadership team about what you did? Yeah. And uh, I say, but I'm a software company. I'm not a consulting company. And they say, I know, but it would help us so much. Uh, so of course I say I will. So are you, you're, not, you're not developing a thought leadership practice on the side here, Aaron? Is no, that's part of your what reti- I meant by that. That's right. <laughs> so this is not your retirement plan to go on the speaking circuit? I'm just a simple software executive just trying to get by every day and take care of the people I really admire. Well, good. You keep doing that because I don't want you as a competitor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so most of your um, your clients are, are inspired by what you're doing, and, and they buy the argument that you make, which is we're going to be a better supplier of service to you because of the way we operate. That's right. And do you ever get pushback on, like, well, I mean, how can you let your people take as much time as they want? I mean, don't you have any system of controls? Or, I mean, what, do you get you know, any... I'm so passionate about it when I describe it. I think they're, like, afraid to push back on me about it. Like, I'm not sure what they would say. But no, hmm. I mean, I've never... I don't recall anyone pushing back. I recall lots of times people say, I'd love to work for Kronos. Oh, my goodness. Or, or people say to me, now I understand why all the people I interact with from your company are so happy. Uh, and do, with it. do I hear that, actually, on a regular basis? Hmm. So that gives me confidence we're doing the right thing and continue to do it. That must make you feel good inside. Makes you feel fantastic. And, 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 and what about in, in your own family and your own relationships beyond work? How, what's your... What's your approach to how you um, deal with the, the question of family first in your own life? A good question. So it's, um, all the time, I'll talk about when I have kids. My kids are a little bit older now. Um, actually, I'm going to have my first grandchild in April, so how do you like that? Mazel tov. Thank you. Way thank to you. go. I know, unbelievable. So it's hard for me to do this. I feel in my head like I'm 25. So it's hard for me to say that I'm going to be a grandfather. I completely understand. Um, put that aside. So when my kids were in high school and they both played um, sports, three sports, um, fall, winter, and spring, yeah. notwithstanding my busy job, I would put their schedule on my calendar. 
and I would try to go to every one of their games. So, and I told people I work with what I was doing, and they should do the same. So on Wednesdays, I would leave at 2 o'clock if I wasn't traveling. And I would go to some of their games, and I'd, some of the games, I'd be the only parent there. Mm. And some of the other mm. kids would say, Mr. Rain, do you work? How come you're, like, at every game? <laughs> And that oh, made a big difference with my kids and for me. And I did it because I wanted to be there for them. Of course. So that is an example. When I come home on Friday, we've always had dinner as a family on Friday night together. Mm-hmm. I put my cell phone away, mm-hmm. and I don't check it again until Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, like, tune out for this period so I can concentrate on being with my wife and my children and my family um, and now I probably work six hours on Sunday to catch up and get ready for the week, uh-huh. but I just turn it off and tune out and, and do that. Um, as another example, well, it's um, respecting the Sabbath, right? And, and it's and, doing and, that and it's respecting my family and it's respecting, yeah, that yeah. I want to spend time and concentrate on my family. So you've been able to do that throughout your career? Um, no, no, I, did that as I um, got more mature and realized that uh, uh-huh. um, there was value in doing that. So I think when I was in my 20s, I was, you know, a seven-day-a-weeker. And, uh, hmm. But I have found balance as I've gone through life, as we all do as we mature and, and learn and grow. So I'm far from perfect from that point of view. Well, I don't know anyone who is, uh, even those of us who, you know, profess uh, this stuff. And, and, and how to achieve it. So was there, was there a critical episode that occurred where you realized, ah, this isn't working, I've got I to gotta make an adjustment and, and really uh, be present psychologically as well as physically when, it is, you know, when I'm, really, when I'm with, when I'm with uh, the people who are most important to me? I don't think so. I think it just evolved. You know, it's probably as my kids got older and it became more fun to sit around the dinner table <laughs> on a Friday night and... Mm-hmm. And then I just said, I've worked enough this week. Why do I need to work all night Friday and Saturday? Like, just put it aside, and it'll be there when I come back. And uh, look, I also try to find balance in my life, Stu. And we can have these jobs, like my job, CEO of a $1.4 billion company, global company with 6,000 employees. And you can start thinking you're self-important. Mm-hmm. And um, so balance in my life and understanding that there's more to my world mm-hmm. than doing what I do. In fact, when people ask me what I do. Yeah, what do you tell them? I tell them I'm in the software business. And they mm-hmm. say, oh, what kind of software? I go, oh, enterprise application software. Oh, what kind? And mm-hmm. if they want to really pursue me, it takes about 20 questions to get out of me that I'm the CEO of Kronos. Mm-hmm. Because being the CEO of Kronos does not define who I am. What does? um, What defines who I am is being a great husband and being a great father and being a great friend and Mm -hmm. doing things that make my community better and my world better and looking after the people who I work with and all of those things. And people Mm -hmm. sometimes ask me, I've had people at work say, like, after you retire, what do you want to be known as? I say, well, I certainly don't want to be known as the CEO of Kronos. I want to be known as all those other things. So that's what's most important to me. That's powerful. Uh, not that hard, actually. No, no, it's it's not. It's not. But it does require some courage in this world because it is counter-normative, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I do. I do. I think we get wrapped up in, in our own world. And I tell people often that humility and, and being humble can go a long way. And it's not all about us. Is that what you mean by the unleader? Yeah, it's exactly what I mean, that uh, you need to move out of this world where everything revolves around you, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a frontline manager, and understand that you can get more out of people by finding a way to make sure you're operating at an equal level to the people you work with. And, and that's what it's meant to capture is, is that. I didn't say don't be a leader. I didn't say don't have the courage to lead. I didn't say don't make difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. But it's not all about us. 
So what are, what are the keys to being an effective leader who does indeed demonstrate humility and builds trust and establishes a candid exchange of yeah, ideas and feelings? Over-communicate, honesty, being truthful, um, you know, don't flaunt your status, mm. those type of things, whether you're at the lowest level or whether you're a board member. Um, everyone can teach you something. Um, hmm. I don't put people on a pedestal just because of what they've achieved. I might admire their accomplishments, but everyone has, a, has accomplished something and that's noteworthy. And everyone's circumstances are unique. And so that's what I try to do. And it started with my parents teaching me that, had great parents, and, and I continue to do it firsthand. And look, I also do these things to be a role model for my children mm-hmm. and my friends and my community. And I can tell you stories where, because of what I've done, given my busy schedule, people have followed me, and it's been rewarding in that way. Followed you, what do you mean? Like They followed my example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, to of, make the world a little bit better. Well, it's not By the so- way, I'm a sore loser. I'm very competitive. I, I, I kind of inferred that from three sports for your kids, uh, but go ahead. I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to go try to do something well at work, then I want to do it really well, and I of want us to be successful with it. It's not like, oh, try your best, and it's okay. No, it's not okay. If we're going to try to do something, let's do it the right way, and let's win. So I don't want to leave the impression that I'm soft in that way. I'm not. So, um, so how do you blend accountability with trust? It, I mean, I just we just do, and so if people go and do something and it doesn't work out, then I don't really keep score per se. But what I do do is that if they keep offering ideas and we accept them, and they don't work out, then maybe I won't accept their ideas anymore. Mm-hmm. I hold them accountable, but mm-hmm. I start with a basic premise that. If they have a good idea and it sounds good to me, good to us, then let's do it. Mm-hmm. I trust them. Mm-hmm. Assume so they can trust. go together just fine. Yes, of course they can. Uh, Aaron, one of the questions I've been asking, I guess, this year uh, is uh, about accountability because I'm hoping that this is the year of accountability in our world. Good luck. Uh, so here's my question to you. What do you do to hold yourself accountable for living and working in accord with your core values? I live it every day. I make sure that I find the balance and I have the time for the things that are important in all the different dimensions of my life. And, and um, w- yeah. what keeps you on track for doing that when you might stray or be tempted otherwise? I'm not tempted otherwise. I put my, um, I, I'm just disciplined and focused on doing that. So when I need to do things that mm-hmm. help others or help my community, I find the time to do it. Now, I'm very efficient with my time. I tend not to do things multiple times. Um, if I look at an email the first time I deal with it, I don't like mm-hmm. to say, oh, I'll get to it later and read the same email 17 times over five days. Um, <laughs> as a way, so I'm able to free myself up mm-hmm. to do that. I'll also say this, that this whole idea of trust is liberating. When you trust people and you don't have to look over their shoulder for everything, you have time to do all these other things that give you a full life, both professionally and personally. That's a perfect note for us to close on, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where's the best place for listeners to find out more about Kronos and your book, Work Inspired? I'd go on to Kronos.com, and there's a section on Work Inspired specifically. And certainly if people want to send me an email at aain at chronos.com, I read my own emails and happy to answer questions for people about that as well, or people can contact me through LinkedIn and and other forms of communication. Fantastic. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time to share your story, your wisdom uh, with us tonight. It's it's really been a great pleasure. Thanks, Stu, and I'm also grateful for your effort to make the world just a little bit better and a little bit saner. So, and the impact that you have. So I'm grateful for that, and thanks for inspiring people like me to follow your lead. Much appreciated, Aaron. Thanks so much.
Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron Ain and that it provoked your thinking about how workplaces can be more humane and productive by being respectful of people as whole people. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. No matter where you stand in your organization's hierarchy, whether you're at the top, the middle, or the bottom, try this. Step back and think for just a bit about trust and about how you might be able to free up some of your precious time and attention and devote it to the stuff that really matters by assuming trust with someone you work with, maybe some group. Perhaps it's someone you've just started to work with, someone who's just joined your organization, your team. Don't make them earn it from you, but instead take that trust for granted from the start until they prove otherwise. What happens to your thinking, to your approach, to your capacity to devote your attention to the things that matter most to you when you think this way, when you approach this person from this point of view? I would love to hear from you, especially with your stories of how what you hear on this show relates to your experiences. As I hear from, from listeners, those stories are just wonderful. So please please share them by writing to me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to learn more about improving performance in all parts of life, learning how to pursue what I call four-way wins, better performance at work, at home, in the community, and for yourself personally, visit totalleadership.org, where you can find free chapters from all my books, lots of other free stuff that you can use. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit totalleadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.